I'm Jim Minns and you're listening to Minimal. Welcome to the Minimal Podcast, Mike Sielski, the from the Philadelphia Inquirer, the author of The Rise, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jim. Mate, um, I have to uh, be very blunt with you. I am a complete basketball novice uh, and I came to your book uh, completely blind, for lack of a better term, to the legend of Kobe Bryant. Uh, you know, as sad as it is to refer to him now as a legend. He was someone that was uh, definitely known down here. Uh, our, uh, his presence, we were aware of it. And then mm-hmm. two years ago, almost to the day now, as, as of the time of recording, the tragedy occurred with him and his daughter Gianna. Uh, the helicopter yes. crash uh, in California at the time. Before we go into the, the, the what your book uh, attempts to, to paint of Kobe, can you tell us why was Kobe such an American legend, a sports legend? Sure. Um, so the way to the best way to kind of put it is uh, obviously basketball is a hugely popular sport here in the states, and Kobe had two qualities kind of going for him on his way to stardom. Um, number one was that he entered the, the NBA at a very young age, uh, at age 17. So once he became a great player, he kind of grew up before everyone's eyes in the States. He played with the Los Angeles Lakers for 20 years, uh, became for, for a time the best player in the NBA and uh, arguably the best basketball player in the world. Um, so there's that aspect of it, uh, that the whole country kind of got to see him go from being a 17 year old kid to being a superstar and then to kind of, uh, moving into the next phase of his life. The other thing is, is that, um, he was compared all the time to Michael Jordan, who is regarded as of course, the greatest basketball player ever. So they, they were similar in style of play. They were similar in competitiveness. Jordan was uh, a role model for Kobe, somebody who, in met to many degrees and in many ways, he wanted to emulate. So that comparison, that connection, really um, kind of heightened the discussion and the interest in Kobe um, as he went on to stardom with the Lakers. So I think the combination of those two things um, and just the natural celebrity that comes with a, being an elite athlete in a elite professional sport in the states. Um, that kind of mixture of factors turned him into a superstar. Your book, The Rise, really covers Kobe's formative years. In fact, you, you concentrate primarily on it. And, you know, as I as I explained, I'm coming into this as someone who knew of Kobe, but not Kobe uh, Kobe's uh, sort of skill and, and and career throughout the NBA per se. Which is why I found it quite uh, inviting and interesting from my perspective coming into the world of pre NBA. Uh, hype. But I'm asking you, why did you decide to go down that route in Kobe's life? Uh, A couple reasons. Number one, um, I felt like it was the story about him that I could tell best. He grew up uh, in and around the Philadelphia area. um, And that aspect of his story and biography often gets forgotten or minimized um, when people discuss Kobe. For all the reasons that I just said, he was so connected to the Los Angeles area and to the Lakers for so long that people feel like he kind of sprouted fully formed out of a hill in Hollywood when in fact he had all these years before he got to Los Angeles where a lot of interesting things were happening, a lot of dramatic stories. Um, And then the other aspect to it too was 
I felt like it gave me an, an opportunity to examine how greatness kind of materializes. He, you know, everybody acknowledges that Kobe was an incredible basketball player. So let's take, and they also acknowledge he was a very complex person. A lot of good, a lot of not so good, a lot of stuff with a, people with a lot of strong opinions about Kobe one way or another. So let's take a look at his early years, his formative years, to see if there's a way to tell the story of that portion of his life so that if somebody reads it, they can say, okay, now I understand how Kobe the man and Kobe the figure as an athlete and as a cultural kind of icon came to be. Uh, before any of that really started to happen. Uh, you know, how did his background, his upbringing, his uh, training in basketball lead him to become this megastar? There's a seminal moment in Kobe's life um, and obviously in the book where his father, a former professional basketball player in his own right, takes a coaching job in Italy and as a result relocates the Bryant family over to Italy for the better part of seven years, a very formative part of Kobe's life. I think it's it's preteen, it's his preteen days up until maybe th 12 or 13, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, up to 13. So would you argue that, I mean, that really is the beginning of Kobe Bryant's basketball career, his time in Italy? I think it's a big influence on his career. I'm not sure it's the beginning because he's already drawn to the sport before the family moves over there. He's he's three years old and in his parents' home and they have a mini hoop with a mini basketball and he's dunking and he's watching his father's games on TV and has a towel over his shoulder when he's three or four years old and he's he's watching what the players do on TV and what his dad does and he's he's blotting his forehead with the towel and saying to his mother, Mom, I'm sweating. And so I think he was always kind of drawn to the game. I think the allure of Italy, when Joe Bryant goes over there and ends up playing there for eight years, is that it expanded Kobe's idea of what it meant to be great in basketball. It would have been one thing if he had grown up in the States and lived in the Philadelphia area and had been totally immersed in the basketball culture in and around Philadelphia. Um, it would have been it would have been different uh, in Italy. He's exposed to a form of basketball that's uh, much more fundamentally oriented. In that, you know, he's watching these players uh, for their footwork, uh, for the way that they shoot. You know, kind of the 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 clean, fundamentally sound way to shoot a basketball, or where they're supposed to be. Um, those sorts of things. I think that influence on his game was very profound because he he spends eight years immersed in that. And brings that sort of those sorts of lessons back with him to the United States, um, and he's kind of wired already to take what he sees and repeat it and practice it and drill himself on it and hone it, even at an early age, um, so that by the time he's moving into the American basketball scene, his basics in the sport are so much better than everybody else's that it allows him to rise in the sport very quickly. Um, and, and the foundation of that is what he saw and experienced in Italy, um, watching his dad play and watching his dad's teammates play. But it's very interesting introduction to the to the game that I I felt that he he was exposed to because uh, in a sense when your book shifts from uh, the relocation back to the United States and then Kobe becoming you know a, a Philadelphian uh, resident uh, once more um, it, he's uh, 
it comes across as a very aloof character. He's not too, he's not familiar with the ways of the American teen as, as, as he, as he's exposed to it. It's almost as if basketball is his way of communicating. Um, uh, yeah, I think, th- I think there's a lot of tr- truth in what you just said. Yes. So is that, does that, do you think that's where, where a certain level of drive comes from? His, his inability to communicate in a pop culture sense, in a dress sense, in a slang, American slang sense, but he can kick ass on the court and that's his way of communicating. Is that, is there a drive there that really made him more pronounced than other players in the area? Well, I think the drive was already there. I think the environment that you're describing allowed it to flourish. Um, if that makes sense. You know, as a young kid, he's got the combination, personality combination of his parents. Joe Bryant is a professional player, a very a very good one, but one a player who doesn't quite reach his potential at the highest levels of basketball. And this Joe, is Kobe's, Kobe's father, Kobe's Joe father, Bryant. Joe, yes. Yeah. So, so Joe's got the experience and the wisdom that he can give to Kobe uh, to teach him how to play, to explain to him what the NBA is like, what professional basketball is like. But he's also got this element of bitterness to him because he feels like I didn't get the shot I should have gotten that I deserved. In, in basketball's highest level. So Kobe hears that and he kind of wants to redeem the family name in the sport. At the same time, he's got what came to be known as the Mamba mentality, which really comes from his mother. His mother's a very strong-willed woman, uh, you know, kind of in charge of the family, very protective of her family, uh, very strong personality. Um, and that's where he gets that mentality. So put those two together and then drop Kobe back in suburban Philadelphia in the very setting that you describe. He doesn't know what kind of clothing or fashion is cool in in America in 1990, December of 1991. He doesn't know what kind of music is cool. He doesn't know what television shows everybody is watching. What he knows is he's great at basketball and that's his way in socially. It's okay, well I can play basketball and a kind of stay on the periphery and kind of figure everything else out. And and his experience in Italy gives him this kind of openness, I think, so that he's not willing to just limit himself to one section or group of people, right? He's He had come from a black family who lived in Italy for eight years where they were pretty much one of the very, very few American black families who were who they saw in Italy. Everybody else looked differently from them. And this was a different culture. So to come back to Lower Marion, Kobe, having had that experience, looks around and says, you know what? It's cool for me to hang out with the jocks, the basketball players. I can also hang out with the kids in my honors English class or the other kids in the school who like rap music. And I can move through all these different worlds while I'm kind of figuring out who I am away from basketball. Basketball, he had a really good sense of who he was and who he was gonna be. It was the social aspect of his world that took a little more time and a little more kind of groping to figure out, all right, where do I belong here? Who am I really? That's really interesting uh, that you went there. It seems that um, uh, Joe Bryant, Kobe's father's attitude towards the game in the in the early part of your book, when you go into a little bit of um, history regarding Joe's career, is um, I'm not I don't want to say flippant, but it's a it's a you, you allude to the fact that it's a completely different style to Kobe's eventual style in that it's more uh, vibe mentality. It's yes. go with the flow. Oh, excuse my bad terminology. No, but, you're, uh, you're right. You're right. And <clears throat> and that's, 
you know, it's one of the interesting aspects, kind of the juxtapositions of the two of them, right? Joe, Joe and Kobe were very close when Kobe was young, and Joe's his biggest basketball influence, but in many mm-hmm. ways, they couldn't be more dissimilar as players. The vibe, Joe was almost like a jazz musician. Like, he, he, he did on the court whatever he kind of felt, whatever, you know, however the spirit or music moved him, and he could do everything. But he was, he felt restricted by kind of the thinking in the sport at the time. Joe was six foot nine inches tall. And if you were six foot nine and playing basketball in the late 1970s, you were told to play near the basket and someone would pass you the ball and you would shoot from five to 10 feet out. Joe wanted to put the ball behind his back and through his legs and he could run and he could shoot and do all these things. And he wanted to do all them in kind of a freelance And they were banned, those moves particularly were banned. It's not so much that they were banned as much as they were thought to be the province of smaller, quicker players. It isn't Mm -hmm. until that's just the conventional thinking in the sport. It Mm -hmm. isn't until Magic Johnson kind of comes around in, in in the early 1980s and is six foot nine and is doing all these showman style tricks on the court that coaches and more and more people go, oh, okay, it's it's okay to have somebody who's that tall play in that way. Mm-hmm. So Joe's kind of, he's ahead of his time in a certain regard. Um, mm. But he's also the kind of player who, if the team has practice at 10 o'clock in the morning, misses the team bus from mm. the hotel to the practice yeah. arena. Uh, Kobe would never do that. So no. in some ways, Kobe sees him as a cautionary tale. Like he sees his dad's talent, sees his experience, loves him. But I think subconsciously kind of says, you know what? I'm not going to be that way. I'm going to be on the ball all the time, working on my game all the time. And I think he was kind of wired to be that way anyway. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, this, is, this, is, this is an incident in the book where um, Joe, Kobe's father, uh, is. You, you set a scene where he's stopped by police. Uh, he's in the midst of an extramarital affair. He has uh, a quantity of drugs on him. I forget what, what, what drugs yeah, they're. Yeah, a couple cocaine. vials of cocaine. Yeah, and he's 21 years old. He's a child. He's a baby. Yes. But he has a house and a mortgage and two, two, three children, something like that. Um, Kobe really, uh, it's interesting you said, thought of him as a cautionary tale, but Kobe had extreme loyalty to people. That, yes. that obviously was brewed to his father, but it extended to his teammates. And I wanted to uh, allude to a, 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 a section in your book where he's playing uh, a game in his high school. I think it was Lower Merion. Yeah, that's uh, his high, high school. school. Yes, That was his high school. And there was a high school game that they lost. And the senior members of the team weren't going to be able to play in the next years because they're moving mm-hmm. on to college. And Kobe felt so bad for them. Is that an element of Kobe's uh, character that continued on into his professional career? Uh, To a degree. I mean, I think it took Kobe a while to um, become the kind of teammate that would be looked at universally as the kind of athlete I would want to play with if I were on his team. I think the scene you're describing, there's a couple of things going on there. There is the loyalty to his teammates. These were his friends, right? And, you know, to a large degree, a teenager... You know, the friends you have when you're a teenager are special friends at a special time in your life. But the flip side of that is that they had lost and he felt like it was on him to to make them not lose. You know, he kind of blamed himself. He, he repeats to himself in that locker room, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it's not yes. just that he's sorry to his teammates. He's kind of sorry to himself, I think. 
because at that stage of his life, he is so singularly devoted to becoming the best basketball player that he can be, that if his team loses a game that he perceives it ought to win, what does that say about him? at 16 years old and the way he's looking at himself. It means maybe I'm not the best. And all this thing, this this goal and this point on the horizon that I've been oriented toward up for my entire life up till this point, I'm not there yet. And I am I ever gonna get there? Um, so it's a combination of a couple of things. It is loyalty to his teammates and he did, by the time he leaves high school, he loves his teammates and they love him. But at that point, there's other stuff going on there. There is, his identity is wrapped up in being the best basketball player in the world, being the best basketball player at his age, and losing that game at the end of his junior year with one more season to come back, I think it's kind of disorienting in a way to him. It's like, well, if I'm not the best, what the heck am I? What have I been doing? And I have one more shot at this next season, and I better be the best. Otherwise, you know, how do I view myself? The American college system is equally as competitive yes. in the basketball stakes. And so there was a degree of expectation, Kobe and his skill level, that he would go onto the basketball, uh, the, the, uh, the college basketball circuit. He skips that and becomes one of, if not the youngest NBA recruit ever. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? It's, it's- does that what does that mean what does what does that do to someone was this was this an anomaly i mean i know he went on to become as we all know one of the greatest players ever in the game was it is it a self-fulfilling prophecy or was he destined to what was the hype was the hype was obviously real who knew how did they spot this so young what has this happened so all right so it's it's an interesting time in kobe's life and it's an interesting time in kind of basketball slash American societal history for this reason. And this is 1996, 1997, This is 1996, okay? Okay. So the year before, in 1995, a player named Kevin Garnett, who went on to become a terrific basketball player in the NBA for a long time, NBA Hall of Famer, becomes the first high school player in 20 years to enter the NBA directly from high school, okay? Hasn't happened in forever. There's a perception that it can't be done. Kevin Garnett comes along and does it. Nobody had done it since 1975. The thing with Kevin Garnett was he was seven feet tall, and at 18, age 18, he looks like and plays like a fully grown man. You could look at Kevin Garnett at age 18 and say, okay, I could see him making the jump, skipping college and going directly to the NBA. The other aspect of Garnett's story that was different from Kobe's was that Garnett was coming from a more economically dispossessed sort of background um, in Chicago. Okay, Kobe's different in a couple of regards. Kobe is, first of all, with respect to basketball, Kobe is six foot six inches tall. He's a guard. He's kind of wispy and thin. So there's this impression that if he makes the jump, if he goes directly from high school to the NBA, he's going to get manhandled in the NBA. He's not big enough yet and strong enough yet to be able to play against grown men and pros. The other thing is that the Bryants were living in Lower Marion Township in suburban Philadelphia, which generally is a pretty affluent area. And Kobe is an, is a, an excellent student who could get into any university in America that he would want to. So the perception is, why would Kobe do this? Why would he make the jump? He doesn't have to. He could go to a college or a university and play basketball and be an excellent academic student. And if basketball doesn't work out, he could become an aerospace engineer. 
So why would he, why is it, it, people at that time can't, it doesn't compute to them as to why he would make this jump and why he would think he could make this jump. Mm. The third factor is that up until that time, again, the consensus view of how a young basketball player goes on to become a great basketball player at, at its highest level is that that player has to go to a college or university and go play for a renowned coach. Let's say someone like a Bobby Knight at Indiana, a Mike Krzyzewski at Duke, a Dean Smith at North Carolina, okay? That's kind of the accepted way about that, that things are done at that time. Mm-hmm. Kobe looks at it and, and figures out, you know what? These coaches need a player like me a whole lot more than I need them. I'm good enough that I don't need to go to college if I don't want to. Just because everyone expects me to go to college is not a reason for me to do it. And if I know that I can make the jump directly from high school to the NBA, there's nothing stopping me from doing that. I'm the master mm. of my future. And so there's there's a lot of different things kind of going on here. And, and he's really at the vanguard of a change in thinking when it comes to that path to basketball success. He's one of the first young players to say, you know what? College isn't for me, and it doesn't have to be for me. I can go blaze my own trail in the way I want to do it. And so the the outside impression is, ooh, is he going to go to Duke? Is he going to go to LaSalle University, where I went as an undergrad and, and Joe was an assistant coach? Or can he just say to himself, you know what? The hell with college. I know I can make the jump to the pros, and, I, and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, there was a real sense uh, you alluded to it in your book where he would he knew he would always ask himself what if, and so he set that goal for himself at such a young age. Uh, it's really quite incredible that he was able to achieve it. Um, but uh, you know, history's on his side, as 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 we know, uh, he's gone on to become uh, a legend in his own right. Um, Taking a quote uh, in, in anticipation of our discussion, he's uh, in in his first game. I think it was between uh, it was, he was recruited to by the Los Angeles Lakers. He stayed with them his entire career. Played his mm-hmm. first game uh, against the Minnesota Timberwolves, and he has said that it was a, it was a good introduction to him because obviously, famously, Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, as everyone would know, was on the team at the time, and Kobe could hide behind Shaquille in his shadows. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing just for that game. I'm not sure he stayed behind yeah. him in the shadows for much longer. Um, what uh, I, you know, as a as a basketball novice, what was their relationship like? I believe it evolved in some way. Can you give us some insight? Well, initially, and this is the part of it I get into in the book, um, they got along great. Kobe regarded Shaquille as kind of a big brother figure. Um, you know, Shaq always kind of had that jovial side to his personality, liked to have fun. But their relationship became contentious pretty quickly for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think the personality clash. You know, Shaq was seven foot two and 300 pounds, kind of this force of nature, who to a great degree didn't feel like he had to put in the work, or at least Kobe didn't feel like Shaq put in the level of work that was necessary to being to, to maximizing his potential and greatness. Kobe was the exact opposite. Kobe was going to outwork you, um, spend more time in the gym, working on his game than anybody else, et cetera, et cetera. The other aspect, too, is that there's a natural, natural ego clash. And again, I get into this aspect in the book. What's one of the m- most remarkable aspects of Kobe entering the NBA is that if you hear him talk at that time, he looks at that 
that Lakers team as his at age 17. You know, yes, we have Shaquille O'Neal. Yes, we have a team full of really good NBA veterans, guys who, you know, Lakers fans will know these names, Eddie Jones and Nick Van Exel, guys who were on the team at the time and were really good players. But I'm coming in and it's going to be me and Shaquille O'Neal who are going to lead the Lakers to four, three championships, four, five. He's 17 years old. <laughs> There's no sense in his part at that time that he needs to go through that learning curve. If, to hear that quote, the, my initial reaction is that's Kobe paying lip service to what he thinks people want to hear from a 17 year, 18 year old kid. But really in his mind, he's saying to himself, I'm going to lead the Lakers to a championship. And that thinking led to some conflict that led to a lot of conflict between him and Shaquille. It led to a lot of conflict between him and his first coach, Del Harris, because Del Harris is looking at him and saying, hey, kid, what you did in an American high school and the way you played is not going to work in the NBA. And Kobe perceives that to be Del Harris holding him back. Mm. You know, I, I got these interview tapes of Kobe when he's 18 years old, 19 years old. And he describes Del Harris that way. Like he uses language I can't use on this program, but basically to say, my coach is holding me back. He doesn't want me to be great. He's telling me what to do. And it's, and it's stifling who I am as a player and as an athlete. Yeah, Kobe was in in your book also a guidance counselor at his high school said, you know, the NBA is the dream of a lot of people, you know, mm -hmm. take it in your stride, don't count your, your eggs before they've hatched. You allude to the fact that Kobe thought that that was an insult and that it yes. was it was fuel to his fire. He never took he never took a plan B approach uh, that people would often give him. Yeah, um, you're you're right. And and I think that's what makes the latter half of his life and his career his, his life after he retired from basketball, so interesting because so many people perceived, and I would have been one of them, that maybe Kobe would have a difficult time adjusting to life without playing basketball because he was mm. so singularly focused on it for so long. Sure. But he was able to take his experiences and his perspective and his life in the sport and branch out into other aspects, whether it was filmmaking, storytelling, yeah. writing, you know, being a girl dad, coaching his daughter in basketball, things like that. So I think you that won was, an Academy Award. Win under, yeah, win an Oscar. exactly. Yeah. So I think that's one of the more surprising and interesting aspects of his life is that there was a time where you would have thought it was basketball or nothing for sure. him. And later in his life, it became, well, no, there were other things that could hold his interest and, you know, where he could pour himself into those things. God, we'll never, we'll never know, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Uh, the, I was going through some Australian newspaper articles um, that were written around the time of his death two years ago this month. And in 1998, I think at the age of 18, he actually came to Sydney where I live uh, on, a bar, on a series of basketball camps. And a journalist asked him, and the, the Jordan comparisons were around then in 1998. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was obviously a bright, um, a sprightly young lad in the, in the, in the league. <laughs> Um, and someone said to him, you're going to be the next Michael Jordan. And his response, and obviously it's not video, it's a, it's a written quote, so I don't sure. really know how, how, he was how he projected the answer. But he said, and I quote, yes, I'm going to win six championships. <laughs> and he ended up winning five, apparently. Yeah. And he got to more finals than Michael did. Michael got to six and won six. Kobe got to seven and won five. What does that say about uh, the mental ethos that you need to be a champion, do you think, Mike, as a sports reporter? Well, I think it's something that I think is hard for those of us who 
are even are around it or cover it. It's almost Muhammad Ali-esque. I think it's hard for people to understand, even if you're close to it, you know, and I think one of the things I wanted to convey in the book was the, the measure of sacrifice and the measure of forward thinking and kind of a different way of doing it that Kobe undertook in his path to kind of show, like, if you're going to be that great, this is kind of what you're going to end up having to do. And there are some costs and some prices to that. You know, he... He goes through high school and he has kind of a quasi girlfriend for the first three and a half years of his high school life. And most of their dates involve her coming over to the Bryant's home and watching videotapes of Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson on a Friday night with Kobe. Now, you know, it doesn't sound like the most romantic evening in the world to me, but that's what Kobe wanted to do. And, you know, you see this in kind of his social interactions at times. I think you see it throughout his career in basketball with the Lakers, that he is not connecting with people on a certain level, that he's kind of apart from everybody, that he's on this journey kind of on his own in a lot of respects. But it is the journey that he wants to take and that he's willing to take. And to your to your point about Michael Jordan, you know, Jordan is kind of a North Star for him at an early age. He emulates Jordan in the way he plays, he follows Jordan's career. He meets Jordan in 1996 uh, before a game between the Bulls and the 76ers. And on the one hand, he is deferential initially. On the other hand, he looks at him and says, you know, Michael Jordan's just another guy like I am. He's a human being like I am. Jordan in that moment lobbies Kobe to go to the University of North Carolina because that's where Jordan went. You know, go become a Tar Heel, blah, blah, blah. And Kobe eventually says to himself, you know, and says to other people, you know, I was never going to no- go to North Carolina because if I had gone there, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have had my own identity. I just would have been following Michael and I needed to do what I needed to do on my own. And I think, you know, again, it's complex. It's wrapped up in this desire to be great versus knowing you have to model yourself after people who came before you who were great. And, uh, you know, it's... It's kind of this singular journey. I keep coming back to that word, but it's I think it's it's apropos, that singularness, that saying to yourself, you know what, I'm willing to sacrifice and have people doubt me and commit myself to this journey, uh, knowing that I will get there eventually. Quite often in his book, there's a there's a healthy respect to the opposite sex, but it's not the focus of his um, time in high school. He's not um, uh, zeroing in on on dating and that sort of thing. His focus very much is basketball, and throughout his career, he was you know one of the most focused people in the game. But there is a stain on his legacy in the two thousand and three uh, rape allegation. What does that do to his legacy? It complicates it in a profound way, I think, um, for all the reasons that one would think when someone is accused of sexual assault. Um, you know, there, there are going to be people, understandably so, who view him solely through that prism, who see, see that aspect of his life and see nothing else. And there are going to be people who s- totally dismiss it and say, I don't care about that. What he accomplished in basketball is enough for me to see him as a model for how I want to live and how I want to strive for greatness and all of that. And my goal in the book was kind of 
I wanted to be able to to say and to write it to tell the story of his early life and have it um, resonate with everything that came after it. So there's an anecdote in the book that I uncovered um, that, that comes up later in the book regarding a sexual harassment seminar that he tries to walk out of when he's a senior in high school. And that I felt a great sense of relief as a researcher and reporter and journalist to uncover that anecdote because I, 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 my goal in writing the book was to have somebody, I didn't want my own feelings about Kobe to get in the way of the story. I wanted to tell the story with as much detail and intimacy as I could. And I wanted somebody who, no matter where they came down on Kobe as an individual or a player or anything like that, you might hate him, you might love him, whatever, you would read this story and get the full picture of him. And so once I got that anecdote, I felt this sense of relief because it was, it was a feeling of, okay, now I can, now I can cover everything. Not that there's a direct line between what happened in Aurora, Colorado in 2003 and him, you know, trying to walk out of a sexual harassment seminar when he's 17 or 18 years old. Not that saying, oh, okay, we'll see that led to that. But it is an indication and insight into what he's thinking at that time. And if you just kind of leave an anecdote within a narrative like that and let somebody judge it for themselves, then you, you can't, you can't be said to have ignored it and you can't be said to have placed out, you know, outsized weight on it. Um, and that's, that was my goal in the book was I don't want to have to shoehorn commentary or references to Aurora, Colorado into the book. I need to address it. It would be wrong for me not to, but I don't want to be ham handed about it. And I don't want to have to be preachy about it. I just want to be able to tell the story and cover everything. And that anecdote allowed me to do that. Uh, Mike, what's next for you? Uh, I'm going to go back to writing columns for the Inquirer. Um, you know, the American football season is is wrapping up. Um, the NBA season is in full swing. So I'll, I'll dive into the Sixers and I'm, I'm kicking around other book ideas and hopefully trying to settle on one. Oh, well, if you do, can you please uh, stay in touch? We'd love to talk to I you would, about I it. would love that, Jim. Thank you so much. Good on you. Mike Sielski from the Philadelphia Inquirer, the author of The Rise, Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality. Thank you so much for joining us on Minimal today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Jim. 